0: I think the stoic should bring back the cringe. If you find it motivating to post your progress pictures or to, you know, post your your daily ice bath or, you know, these kind of tasks you've undertaken to, if you find that motivating, there is one sense in which, you know, it is quite stoic to say, I don't care that other people think this is lame. This is holding me to account. This is beneficial.
1: Welcome to Stoic Conversations. In this podcast, Michael Trombley and I discuss the theory and practice of Stoicism. Each week, we'll share two conversations, one between the two of us, and another will be an in-depth conversation with an expert. Can you say that you're a Stoic unless you regularly take ice baths, fast, underdress? Well, that's what Michael and I talk about today we discuss why the ancient Stoics argued for voluntary suffering, but also why they gave several warnings about it. We debate whether one should show off, and we share how we practice voluntary suffering in our own lives. As always, reach out to us if you ever have any feedback, and share the podcast with a friend if you find it useful. Here is our conversation. today we're going to be talking about a voluntary suffering. Do you want to set the stage, Michael?
0: Yeah, so voluntary suffering brings to mind the ice baths, cold showers, difficult physical things that people do and that relationship that that has with stoicism, the stoics view on that, on if that's actually something that's good for becoming better people and you know some of some of our views but I think what we'll find, I've done some research for this episode is that the Stoics actually have a pretty nuanced position on this. And voluntary suffering is something that's become recently quite popular, and so it's interesting to see what the ancients have to say on this. In terms of the structure of the episode, we'll be talking about what is voluntary suffering and you know why why it's an interesting thing to talk about in terms of self-improvement. Talk about some of the Stoics' arguments in favor of voluntary suffering, so what the ancient Stoics have to say though. You know why you might want to consider that cold shower in the morning, or you know sleeping on the floor. What the Stoics have to say, or some examples of voluntary suffering that the Stoics actually endorsed or actually encouraged, and then what the Stoics had to say against voluntary suffering and some of the the warnings they had about this kind of behavior or this focus, this focused approach to self improvement.
1: Yeah, I would say voluntary voluntary suffering sometimes. It's called voluntary discomfort, what have you. There's a long tradition of seeing the Stoics as in favor of this, whether it's sleeping on the floor, taking cold showers, or fasting. There are several different examples, both from Stoic models and Stoic writings of people doing this sort of thing. We talked about this a little bit in the Masonius Rufus episode a while back, and we'll talk about it some more.
0: Yeah, Masonius Rufus is going to come back in this. So jumping into it, first thing is what is voluntary suffering? I guess voluntary discomfort would just be less intense voluntary suffering. It would be the gentler form of voluntary suffering. Same thing, but my definition here is that it's, it's when we choose to do difficult things related to the body, typically related to the body. I, I, I wouldn't consider studying intensely to be voluntary suffering in the same sense. We're talking about the body's relationship to self-improvement. So difficult things of the body for the purpose of self-improvement. Some examples, as you already noted, fasting, so abstaining from food and drink for long periods of time, ice baths or showers, difficult exercise or physical challenges, and abstaining from things you enjoy. Notably, I would say what what these have in common is that they don't have long-term physical side effects. So this is not something that's dangerous. It is something that is repeatable because of that and ultimately not harmful. The harm is just the confrontation of an unpleasant experience, right? If I step into a cold shower, the rest of my day is going to be the exact same. It's going to be fine. If you believe some people, you know, I think there's some science. that the rest of my day might actually be improved. There might actually be physical benefits to it. There's no real long-term hardship. I'm just confronting what's difficult for my body. And I think this is an interesting question for three main reasons. Is first, as a potential tool for self-improvement, we want to know if voluntary suffering works or not or if the Stoics think it works or not. And we also want to know if the Stoics think it's harmful. As you said, it's, it's really been associated. People really assume the Stoics are pro this. We want to know if the Stoics think it's harmful. The second reason it's worth talking about is that many people, you know, as I say, many people ha- are doing this, are actively using this, doing these practices as part of Stoicism. So we want to be cautious to not kind of replace other things or be misdirected if this is not actually the right way to focus our Stoic practice. And third, it can tell us interesting things about what the Stoics think about training in general and the relationship between virtue and the body. As an athlete, I've always been really interested in this question about what role does the body have to play in becoming a better person? What role does physical exercise, physical training have to play in becoming a better person? And you know, voluntary suffering is one of, is directly inserts itself into that debate and that question. If voluntary suffering is good or for becoming better, then that it says, look, we can use our body as a tool. We can use physical training, physical confrontation as a tool to improve our character. So jumping into the Stoics' reasons for being pro-voluntary suffering or what the Stoics have to say on these types of exercises, I guess one thing I want to know before jumping into this also is that there is a type of asceticism. So this, this idea of, you know, not only is physical suffering good for self improvement but physical suffering things like you know whipping yourself or these kind of extreme physical acts i know there's you know somebody in i've seen this i've seen this before somebody in india who's kept their arm up for you know 50 years and it's been kind of preserved in that position now it can't come down and the you know on that far end of the spectrum those people believe not only is is physical suffering good for your progress it's kind of necessary for your progress And then on the other end of the spectrum, you might have this kind of view where it's like, well, we just need to read books. We just need to think about Stoicism more. And we're trying to figure out where the Stoics kind of fall on that spectrum and where kind of which side they fall on as the Sorry,
1: what's the spectrum? The spectrum is how much suffering is required to be virtuous. Is that right? Or is it slightly different?
0: It's, yeah, how much suffering is required to be virtuous? I guess there's two things there. There's kind of the, is it necessary to be virtuous? Is it, a, is it a necessary condition uh, and then the other question would be you know if it's not necessary you know how beneficial is it or is it really just a distraction it is really just a you know at it's worst, actively harmful right right and so 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 jumping into what the stoics have to say about voluntary suffering when we, when i go through it and i i was i was reading up on this there's actually a number of passages which show that the Stoics are pro-voluntary suffering or are pro-enduring difficult things for, for one specific reason is the one that I found or, or one main reason. And the first reason is that it teaches us about what should be valued and what should be avoided. So when we look at Epictetus' writing, Epictetus writes about the discipline of desire. And that main discipline is that is that main, that's the first stage of becoming a better Stoic. And it's the idea of, regulating what you think is good and what you think is bad only to the appropriate thing. So the only thing you should think is good is becoming a better person. The only thing you should think is bad is bad action. And in its most extreme, that that the, the, the corollary to that is the only thing you should desire is virtue, becoming a good person, acting well. And the only thing you should be fearful of, the only thing you should be afraid of or averse to is acting poorly. That's that first discipline. And when I go through the Stoics, you really see this identification that hey, physical training is really helpful in this first discipline. So one quote I have from Epictetus here is that, quote, all practices that are applied to the body by those who are giving it exercise may also be useful here if they're directed in some way towards desire and aversion. And this is really, I've read the discourses multiple times. This is really where you get Epictetus's, I think, his stance on 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 training the body, which is to say, look, training the body can be helpful if you train the body for the purpose of regulating your desire and regulating your aversion. And what is meant by that, I'll go into some more detail, but what, what is meant by that is this idea that, and this I think is, is the reason why many people do voluntary suffering or cold showers. You say, look, I'm afraid of being really cold or I'm averse to being really cold. But there's this stoic truth, which is that it's not actually harmful. Maybe it's a dispreferred and different. But it's not, it's not totally harmful. This kind of pain is something that you can encounter if you approach it properly. You know, Epictetus also talks about this about, you know, if pain was was always harmful, athletes would, would not want to exercise, but athletes want to exercise. They contextualize pain as being good because they recognize it's making them better. So there's this mm-hmm. idea that I can I can train my aversion to not be afraid of things I was afraid of, not be afraid of things that I'm naturally averse to in some regard. Like physical suffering. I can train that, I can master that, and I can control that if I do that intentionally. And that's really the the first, I think, the first key piece of why the Stoics were, were pro-voluntary suffering.
1: Yeah, I'd say Seneca has another example of this where his letter on festivals and fasting, his letter 18, he says, set aside a certain number of days during which you shall be content with the scantiest and cheapest fare, with coarse and rough dress Saying to yourself the while, Is this the condition that I feared? So that's the idea that naturally people would fear looking silly, they would find fasting uncomfortable, they would find it bad, and one way to overcome those false judgments is to expose yourself to them. I see that as the same kind of reasoning that your read of Epictetus has.
0: yeah, that's exactly right. So like what Seneca's saying there is, you know go and live in Go live in some uncomfortable way, uh, you know, eat very little food and be like, this is the this is the thing that I spent my entire life being afraid of. I, you know, I got this difficult job. I I am doing all this work so that I can have this wealth so that I can, I can avoid this situation. You know, as you said, people kind of looking at you thinking you're looking strange. But then once you live it, you go, oh, this is not as bad as I thought it would be. Not only is it not. And so there's a kind of knowledge gained there. Uh, And really, that's what it is. It's kind of knowledge about the kinds of things that are actually harmful, or if they're as bad as you think they would be. Seneca says another thing about how we suffer more in imagination than in reality. And so the idea is like sometimes we can think physical pain is worse than it is. I know I feel that way when I go to get a needle, for example, or I'm going to the dentist. I always like hype it up, and then in the moment it happens, I go, "Oh, that was just a little prick on my arm," you know. And not to downplay people that that are afraid of those kinds of things, but there's this kind of the reality of the situation, being confronted with the reality of the situation can actually be really empowering because it can be like, this is, this is not as bad as I thought it was. And to formulate my life in avoidance of these things would actually be a mistake because they're, they're not that bad. And that's the, that's the aversion part. That's the don't fear things that shouldn't be feared. And then there's this kind of second part about desire, about moderating your desires, getting your desires in, under control. And so a quote here from Epictetus, he says, you should practice at one time to live like one who is ill, so as to be able one day to live like one who is healthy. And this is, the healthy there is a metaphor for, you know, being being virtuous. Take no food, drink water alone, abstain from every desire at one time, so as to be able one day to exercise your desires in a reasonable way. And so this is a kind of voluntary suffering. I don't know if it would be fasting in kind of the extreme sense, but it would certainly be a kind of minimalism, a kind of i'm going to not I'm going to not indulge in the pleasures that I like. And what that is going to teach me again is that you know, these things weren't really weren't really necessary for me to have a good life. It's not so bad without them. And then that's going to kind of reframe your desire, right if you don't if you don't fear minimalistic conditions, if you don't fear not having much, well, then you won't desire having a lot in the same way. So that's the kind of modulation of aversion and desire that can come from these kinds of practices.
1: Right, right, absolutely.
0: Another another good quote here, because again, I think it's important when we're saying what the Stoics think to actually show what the Stoics said here, not just, not just to have our commentary. Masonius Rufus talks about the the value of training our body and our soul right so not training just not just learning stoicism but actually training our body because he says we will train both body and soul when we accustom ourselves to cold heat thirst hunger scarcity of food hardness of bed abstaining from pleasures and enduring pains through these methods and others like them the body is strengthened and the soul is strengthened as it is trained for courage by enduring hardships and trained for self control by abstaining from pleasures so really I, I you know i was talking about that pleasure and aversion and desire Part and Masonius Rufus does a really good job of framing this here. Courage to courage to face what you fear and self control, moderation, temperance to not fall into these desires. That, that's what you gain when you train your body.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, absolutely. I think later on in the letter eighteen, I quoted from Seneca. He mentions that as an analogy, what a soldier will do is prepare themselves for war during times of peace. And essentially, you want to be doing that when you are living the life of ease or comforts relative. And there's the motivation of training desire that we're talking about. That's one argument for doing this. Another argument is sort of the preparation type argument so that like the soldier, when war comes, you're prepared. Uh, if you need to take a meeting and skip lunch, then you might perform better had you fasted, practice fasting before that.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I have a quote here. From Seneca, which I, might be the one you're referencing, which, which, was, which was the other point I was going to bring up, where Seneca says, one who's serious about philosophy as a way of life should choose settings that are conducive to sobriety and clean living. Too much comfort makes the spirit unmanly, and even more location undoubtedly has some power to ruin one's soul. Uh, the soldier who has been posted in steep places becomes ever stronger. The urbanite is a lazy fellow. Hands that go directly from the plow handle to the sword hilt can handle any kind of work, while those that gleam from manicure and massage give up the minute they have to get dirty. So I think that's that's the same. If that's not the exact quote, that's the same kind of idea from Seneca. Yeah, so there's this idea of preparedness. I think that's compelling as well. I think ultimately it kind of comes down. It's kind of a sub point to the previous one. Look, there's courage and there's self-control. You get courage and self-control from training these things. But the issue is Mm -hmm. that when you live a very comfortable life, you don't notice when your courage and self-control start to fall apart, when your courage and self-control weaken. And so when you try to go from the plow handle to the sword hilt, it's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, whatever that, whatever modern metaphor you want for, for that. And it doesn't have to be so dramatic. You don't have to be a soldier. But the idea is that like there's kind of chance, there's kind of luck. No matter how good things are going now, you know, people, people in you, that you care about will get sick. You might have a problem at work. You're going to find some sort of conflict. Bad things are going to happen, and you know what we can do is we can prepare for them mentally. But we also want to be the kind of people that can handle them well. So we don't just want them to be expected, but we also want to be strong enough to handle them well. And that's what this kind of intentional hardship, personal suffering provides. Is it 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 puts us ideally if it's done well, it puts us in a position to be used to confronting difficult things and be used to going without things we might we might have thought were, you know, nice to have.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the so the the, the primary motivation for voluntary suffering is that it brings about knowledge. It's a way to really come to the judgment about what is good or bad. This other line about preparation is important, but it's not limited to voluntary suffering because it's sort of stressing the general view that it's important to be prepared for adversity, for whatever comes your way. And voluntary suffering is an excellent way to prepare yourself for something that might go awry. But, you know, depending on where you're at, maybe your time would be better spent learning a new skill or doing something that's not so much related to to suffering.
0: I think that's a great point, which is that we want to be prepared for what's to come, but there's plenty of ways to prepare for what's to come. If I understand you correctly, Caleb. Mm -hmm. And it's not like, you know, if I take a bunch of ice baths, I'll be ready for no matter what happens. There has to be some nuance there. Part of being ready for what happens is means, you know, yeah, you're okay to confront physical discomfort. You're okay to do things you don't want to do. But there's other ways to be prepared too. As you said, a different skill, you know, dip, there's different types of preparation than solely the physical one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that I think is. And then the other point you raised there, which I think is a really important point, is that. So I, I think it's safe to say that the Stoics did endorse voluntary suffering in some capacity. And so people who are both use that in their own practice and are positive about it, I don't think they're wrong. Uh, and I I think, that's, so I think that's something that the Stoics clearly did say, yes, this is valuable. This is a good thing to do. But it's that knowledge point, which we really have to always keep in mind. We have to always keep in mind that virtue for the Stoics is a knowledge. It's an understanding about what is what should be avoided and what should be pursued. And so all voluntary suffering does or its main moral value is it reminds you reminds you hey this pain is not as bad as i think it is i i am the kind of person that can endure pain and still have a good life or hey these things that i are not as these things that i desire are not as necessary as i thought they were i can go without them and still be okay mm-hmm. and so it's this kind of knowledge that you gain through practice through experience not in any sort of Again, not, not training in any sort of way than teaching yourself about the way the world is and teaching yourself about your capacity to handle the world. Moving on, I, I, I want to, to now contrast this with what the Stoics have to say against voluntary suffering, and they're kind of caution about it. So it's not just pro endorsements all the way down. It's not just 100% thumbs up. They have some things to say against it, and they have some words of caution, especially for people like us who are progressing, who are you know, working on our Stoic practice. So the first is that Seneca warns that a focus on the body can be a distraction from the mind. So he says, quote, in in letter 15 of his letters on ethics, there are ways of exercising that are easy and quick. They give the body a workout without taking up too much time. Choose whichever you like and make it easy by practice. But whatever you do, return quickly from the body to the mind and exercise that, exercise the mind, night and day. So the point here is that, look, you know, I know he's just talking about physical exercise here, but he's talking about the tendency or the fear of us to think about self-improvement as a physical process, as a body, as an as an embodied kind of a physical training process, a Rocky montage. Saying, look, you got to be in good shape. You got to be fit. But, you know, figure out as little time as possible that it takes to do that effectively and just do that. And don't let it take up any more time than the, then away from your stoic practice, and no, I don't think I don't think like you know there's nothing wrong if you're a serious hobbyist or you seriously pursue this. But the, the point in plain language is, you know, if you become a bodybuilder and you think, wow, look at how great of a person I am because I'm a, because I spend six hours a day, eight hours a day, working on my diet and my body, the stoic is going to say, look, that's not you're missing the point here. You're missing you're missing what it really means to develop yourself. And Epictetus says something similar, and this is in Enchiridion forty one. He says, it's a, it's a sign of a lack of natural aptitude for Stoicism to spend much time on things relating to the body by taking a large amount of exercise, for instance, and eating too much. No, these things should be done in passing and you should devote undivided attention to your mind. So again, same kind of thing. Don't be a, don't be a jock, I guess is the idea. Or don't really, don't confuse yourself to think that physical improvement means means necessarily moral improvement.
1: Yep. I think there's a a line I mentioned a while back, which is a Spartan lost a wrestling match. And someone says to that Spartan, your opponent proved himself the better man. And the Spartan replies, no, a better wrestler. And that's the line here is that the goal is to be a better person, not be a better wrestler, better runner, better, faster, whatever it may be. That shouldn't be lost. One shouldn't lose sight of of that goal.
0: Yeah, I love that quote. That quote that quote pumps me up. I think I said the same thing last time, but it gets me gets me excited. Yeah, that that constant focus on being a good person and not taking not taking these things as proxies of being a good person, being a good athlete, you know, as as a proxy or, or anything else we, we focus on, uh, you know, having bigger muscles or you know looking a certain way because you train or eat a certain way. These are all good things, and, and they can they can represent self-control, courage, they can represent other virtues, but if it's only applied to the body, you know then you're just you know you're just a just a bad person with a six pack you know, right, or right. as you said, who can who can fast longer or can you know sit in the icy waters the longest and so that's the first point is like don't get distracted, don't get it twisted don't miss don't misrepresent the priority here when you start training your body. The other danger, which I think is a real temptation in this area, is one of, that the Stoics hit on, is one of pride and one of not just confusing what's important, but actually beginning to take pride in the thing that you got confused about, which is say, wow, I'm so impressive because I can do these difficult things. And so the, the quote here from Epictetus in Caridian 47 He says, when you've become adapted to a simple way of life and bodily matters, again, that minimalism we were talking about, don't pride yourself on that. And likewise, if you drink nothing but water, don't proclaim at every opportunity that you drink nothing but water. And if at any time you want to train yourself to endure hardship, do it for your own sake and not for others. And so this, I mean, this really resonates with me, right? You you see, and sometimes we do this, right? Sometimes if we start Putting ourselves in challenges, we say, "Well, I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to do this challenging thing for 30 days." We can post it on social media as a way to hold ourselves accountable. But Epictetus is warning against this, saying like it becomes really tempting uh, to take pride in your ability to navigate these bodily matters well, and to want to proclaim it, to want to show off. And you should do it only ever for your sake, and never for the opinions of others. Kind of a, not not necessarily an obvious point, but like a, a clearly a stoic point, but something that I think people are particularly at risk at falling into when they start doing intentionally difficult things.
1: Yeah. It's an interesting case because like suppose you're, you're uh, you know, one of your roles involves say being a, a good athlete and what it is to be a good athlete these days. It involves being able to play well on the field and so on but it also involves being someone who other people are are entertained by people enjoy watching the good athlete and that that means that a lot of people maybe they have some reason to cultivate some charisma that many other people aren't obligated to because of because of their job so given that you're in this role should the should that kind of person at least take into account how they're perceived by others, and maybe they would take on different challenges and put things on their Instagram, you know, watch me do this impressive technique or watch me go through this routine of suffering just to keep people engaged with what they're up to, keep people involved in this sport. I think that would be maybe a positive case for taking into account how others perceive your suffering given the fact that someone has this role. Now that's not going to pertain to everyone, but perhaps there there are other cases that are less extreme that might be more that might be more relatable.
0: Yeah, and I guess to build on your point, Killip, there's even this idea that you know there could be a moral reason to do this. You might be inspiring other people, or you might be motivating other people when you kind of share this content or show off. You know, look, I stuck to this goal, and someone said, well, if they can do it, I can do it too, and you kind of have this this benefit. I think like anything else in stoicism, in my opinion, happy for you to disagree. My opinion is like anything else in stoicism, it just depends on why. But why are you doing it? And if you're, if you're posting your 60 day challenge on Instagram because, you know, you recognize that this content is like beneficial for other people or you recognize that it's part of your job. I, think, I don't think there's any reason. I don't think, I don't think there's any problem with that. The problem is that if you're doing it, if you think that's the goal, the goal is to impress other people. The goal. I mean, it might even be the goal in the context of your job, but then we're not talking about voluntary suffering for self-improvement anymore, right? And mm-hmm. if you're doing it for self-improvement, it has to be sufficient to improve yourself. You know, there's the kind of we we all know the stereotype of the kind of person who you know goes to the gym and takes pictures of themselves at the gym, and they're only there to take the pictures, right? And it's this kind of it, there has to be this there there is this there's this ideal of you know i am going to do this thing that's very noteworthy and very impressive and i'm not going to tell anybody that i did it and if you're able to do that not to say you're necessarily doing it wrong if you show off to other people but you're certainly doing it right if you don't show off to other people you're certainly doing it for the right reasons i would say and another point of this about this is just that because it's because it's a thing that other people aren't willing to do that other people find impressive it's just a particularly vulnerable situation for this kind of pride. Right? Mm-hmm. We can be prideful about everything. We can get we can get our priorities twisted about everything. We're just particularly vulnerable when we're doing the kinds of things that are hard that other people find impressive because it's just really tempting to be like, look at me, <laughs> you know? And you, you mm-hmm. need to really do the soul searching about why you're why you're doing it. The, the, you know, there's other things, there's other memes like this like about like, you know, how do you find out who at the party is doing CrossFit? This is like a, 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 I think people do this with all different examples. You'd be like, don't worry, like they'll tell you there's this there's this constant meme about people, you know, bragging or showing off about these habits, mm-hmm. about their diets, things like this. And everything is just saying here, just don't just just default to not doing that, right? Your counterexample of like, you know, it serves some sort of purpose, that's fine. But default to not doing that, I, I would say.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I think I don't agree with that. Let's try to hash this out. So I think that you're right that for many roles, like the athlete type example, the reason you might undergo some trial of what, you know, watch me do 100 pull-ups or watch me sit in this cold tub for 10 minutes, whatever. The reason you might do that is it becomes a little bit more of a promotional activity or you're expressing particular values. You're saying, watch me do this cool thing. And it's not so much about voluntary suffering any more than anyone else performing their job is an act of voluntary suffering. So. I generally agree with that. And one thing that you sort of bring to mind or one thing that you hammered correctly is that it always matters what's going on internally. And is someone taking the cold shower to come to better views about what is good or are they merely going along with the most recent trend or something of that sort? And a corollary of that is that you can't always you can't leap to judgment about other people's actions, whether they choose to take a cold shower or not. It's not so much you know are you taking a cold shower? No, yes. Therefore, I can come to a judgment. So that's a little bit of an aside, but I think that's always an upshot of Stoicism, and it's a good thing to remember that. One reason why Stoics are not so keen on judging others is that people's the worth of people's actions depends on why they're making the choices they are let's see okay but so that's the disagreement comes i think when you say that the default should be not to share so the crossfit example is interesting i think i would take the nietzschean line on these jokes these jokes like you know why does someone you know uh, how do you know whether someone goes to crossfit they'll tell you how do you know someone does bjj they'll tell you how do you know they're a vegan, what have you. There's a whole different, so many different forms of these kinds of jokes. I think that people say that sort of thing because they resent people who go to CrossFit and people who go to VJJ, people who are vegan as either being physically better, morally better than others. And it's sort of the morality of resentment. You're trying to put yourself above me. Don't do that. I want to put you down and share this joke with other people who also don't like that these people doing this thing that's at least on some lines might make them better. Uh, and now we're going to have a meme that pulls down people who do things that are generally related to self-improvement or generally related to being better. So it's not too clear to me that I would set the default on action or not. It's sort of hard to say. So that's that's where that's where I disagree. And that's my general sort of Psychologizing of the said, it, the default to silence is that people just don't like people appearing better than them in any way, and that's because most of us aren't very good, and we resent people who are <laughs> either good or appearing to be good.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I find that like compelling. Like, like in non Nietzschean terms, it's this, it's this view that you know they're just haters, right? They're just they're just haters, and nobody's going to be a hater unless they're worse than you. So don't listen to the haters and keep posting, keep telling, or, you know, keep bragging or or sharing your story. I, I think I've been involved in the fitness community for a long time, not necessarily the kind of wellness community or the kind of greater voluntary suffering ideas, but I've certainly been involved in the fitness community for a long time. And a lot of people socially motivate their transformation. A lot of people socially motivate their progress and socially motivate their, their reputation, and they view this as kind of a hierarchy game and a hierarchy battle, and a lot of those people tend to burn out, or, or you just come back to the original dichotomy of control of, of the Stoics, which is that they, they get a lot of attention when they start because they're seeing great results to their training and then they hit a wall very quickly. I'm kind of sidestepping your CrossFit comment. I think there's something true to that. I think there's something true about that, about people just being haters. But to interpret it more charitably, it's this view that these people will burn out because they they, they develop their motivation from things outside of their control. And so I guess developmentally, when you're starting, don't do that. And then when you end up becoming kind of good, be very careful that it doesn't drift into that and you don't you don't lose sight of the original path. That would be, I think, the most charitable way that I would take what Epictetus is saying.
1: Right. Yeah, but I guess the question is, maybe you want to make the action easier initially, and you might take advantage of some of that social, some of that social benefits. You know, you sign up with some of your buddies to do a thirty day challenge or something like that, and now that gets your foot in the door. And it's after those thirty days, are you going to become someone who? gets fully invested for the right reasons or the wrong reasons or, you know, what's the next play? There, I think there's something to be said for maybe even initially being open about what you're doing, doing things other people might think are it, is cringe. I think that's what the kids say these days or something <laughs> of that sort.
0: Cringe is in, I think, unless I'm out of date with the kids.
1: I okay. think cringe is, I think
0: cringe <laughs> is still in.
1: So that's so that's saying, where I put my question mark around Epictetus is, or this general idea that maybe one shouldn't be a, one shouldn't show off. There is something to that. But I, I think mean, if you come back to this view of stoic non-judgment, as it were, you can't really sh- say whether the other person is showing off or not. So then when it comes to your own action, it just, you might put, you know, really inquire, am I doing this because I think it, it's gonna make me a better person or not, and it I don't think that means I don't think you should necessarily just default to to silence
0: I think that's a very that's a very moderate reasonable position, and there is something you you said to to this it is very stoic to embrace cringe, I think the Stoic should bring back the cringe they you know, this it is it is stoic to not you know if you find it motivating to post your progress pictures or to, you know, post your your daily ice bath or, you know, these kind of tasks you've undertaken to, if you find that motivating, there is one sense in which, you know, it is quite stoic to say, I don't care that other people think this is lame. This is holding me to account. This is beneficial. I think I, I think I'm sold on that and I'm persuaded on that. And I'm saying, yeah, get rid of the haters. But that internal state, or don't listen to the haters, but that internal state is something to return to so yeah in terms of what that looks like externally can look different but i I, as long as we keep this i'm standing by this idea that i think epictetus gets it right that there there is a temptation to go off course here and you need to kind of keep a finger on your internal state while you're doing that
1: yeah 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 there is always this interesting question of as a community do you want to promote things like voluntary suffering As a way to positively express the value that suffering is not bad, or should you be more ambivalent about it because you're worried that as people start posting their pictures about voluntary suffering, that the thing is going to take on a logic of itself and no longer be focused on knowledge, but focused on these social facts and so on.
0: Oh no! I was, like I always just go back to Epictetus' quote because, because I, you know, I always go back to Epictetus' quote here, uh, which I had earlier, which is that all practices that are applied to the body by those who are giving it exercise may also be useful if they're directed in some way towards desire and aversion, because it's like it, it can, whatever you do, it can be helpful as long as it's coming back and focusing on that. In terms of the community question, I think we should, I think, I think we should promote and support anybody who is doing intentionally challenging things for the purpose of self-improvement. It can go wrong, but everything can go wrong. Or you can do all those other examples. You can end up like Epictetus, example of those people who show off their ability to to recite Chrysippus, who who show up how many books they've read. This this, this issue happens no matter what you do. So it's something to keep a finger on. But but I'm generally supportive of people that are taking on challenges as as long as they're doing it for the right reasons.
1: Right, yeah, I think so. I agree with that. I think people should take on in general more challenges and celebrate those who do. Of course, there's always these questions about what people's internal states are, but in a way, you can only make judgments about what what you're given, and a part of many roles is doing challenging things, doing great things, so you can applaud people when they do that, while yeah. while bearing in mind the risks that we've uh, we've discussed. So
0: summarizing or wrapping this all up, we've talked a bit about why the Stoics are pro-suffering. We've talked about what some of those examples are pro-voluntary suffering, voluntary discomfort, what some of those examples look like, some of the cautions. But I'm going to take a run at a summary here and then see maybe if that leads you to any other questions or if you think I'm, you know, there's the question of what the Stoics think and then the question of if we disagree. So that, that Epictetus discussion we were having, you know, there's a question of what Epictetus thinks and then if he's getting it wrong. So I think the overall point I would summarize like something like this, which is that you know physical training and suffering, voluntary physical discomfort can be helpful, especially as it relates to training desire and aversion towards indifference and cultivating discipline or an ability to do difficult things. And that idea also of being prepared to do difficult things. So the Stoics are two thumbs up on that. But there's two important caveats. First, we have to be careful not to focus on the body too much and allow that focus to distract from the mind. We can do difficult things in our life that do not require physical suffering, such as being brave in social situations, limiting unnecessary pleasures, or studying stoic texts. So we don't have to focus too much on the body and treat it as some kind of cheat code or shortcut. It's not the only way to prepare ourselves or to do difficult things. And second, there's a real temptation to be prideful about voluntary suffering, to want to show it off. And this can be actively harmful. So when we do practice voluntary discomfort, I think the, Sto- the Stoics at least think we should do what Epictetus recommends here, which is, quote, if you ever find yourself extremely thirsty, take some cold water into your mouth and then spit it out again without telling a soul. And this is an example of voluntary discomfort done for the sake of improvement, not for the sake of our egos. You've done this difficult mm-hmm. thing and, there, and there's been nobody to tell. And so that's kind of, that's, that's my opinion on, this, on the Stoics on this. What do you think?
1: I think, uh, yeah, I think that's well put. That's both of those, the case for voluntary suffering is as you stated it, I suppose with the supplement of the argument from preparation, as we put it earlier, where I think Stoics think it's important to be prepared for a variety of different circumstances. And one way to be more prepared is to do some amount of voluntary suffering. But you know, that's not the core, that's not the core motivation, as you stated. So yeah, and then we have we have maybe we're we're in slight disagreement around where you should default to, but I think we we both recognize the different benefits and risks. I think it would be useful to talk about some ways people can practice voluntary suffering today, and any techniques or ways you do or don't practice it in your own life.
0: Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think for me the two like. I do sport and lifting weights, like running, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. These for me are voluntary. I'm doing it voluntarily, and it's incredibly discomfortable, or discomfort like it's it's not not fun in the physical sense, in the moment to moment. So that for me is that is that is that moment where I'm kind of facing my fears. So any sort of sport, any sort of physical challenge, there's there's another there's another idea here. Also, you know, referring to stoa in meditation. I don't know if that's so much in in we're getting this 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 question about if voluntary discomfort has to be physical or not versus mental but there's something very uncomfortable about you know, sitting and meditating especially as as you're cultivating that skill for the first time where it's like I don't want to be doing this or my mind wants to be doing something else or you know I want to be looking at my phone or I want to be distracted so I think that's another I think that's another way of of doing it Certainly, cultivating temperance and self-control in that kind of sense. I would say sport for me is a bit more. I guess is also about self-control totally, and then also a bit about courage. Like I'm going to do this difficult thing. I'm going to have fun doing it because sometimes difficult things are fun or beneficial. So that that's in my own practice. What about you, Caleb?
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I would say so. I run a lot. Running is one form of uh, one form in which I do voluntary suffering. Of course, I also, in many moments, find it enjoyable. I like to run in different beautiful places or listen to an audiobook while running. But at other points while I'm running, I I really don't. And I think that one lesson from running, if you will, is that pain often comes in waves and you can have the courage to endure a given wave and keep on persisting. And that's something that I think I've practiced through running. So that's one of my examples. I, meditation, of course, I think if you see voluntary suffering or voluntary discomfort as enduring pain or foregoing pleasure, and I think in many, many times when I meditate, it feels like I am foregoing pleasure because I would rather either do something else or particular distracting thoughts might emerge. That are, you know, screaming to be satisfied by some quick form of near-term gratification, checking my phone or what have you. So those are those are the main ways. I think this idea of living on less, not living as luxurious as one could. And there are a number of different reasons to do this. But I think one is related to voluntary suffering because it's just a way of realizing the value of indifference. they are indifference. you don't need more stuff perhaps given one's position, you ought to donate more of your wealth and so on. I think it's another another thought we hadn't touched on as much but is worth mentioning.
0: Yeah again, I keep going back to some of these Rufus's comments about self-control and courage. as long as it's hitting one of those two things, I think it's the example and so you know when you're giving up some of your possessions, you're living more minimalistically, You're you're you know you're cultivating that self-control. You're saying I don't need to have everything I could have. I don't need to have every indifferent that I'm like capable of possessing. I can I can actively choose to forego them. Yeah, great examples. And I love the way you frame that lesson from running as a lesson, right? Like it it connects with this 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 ebb and flow of pain. To it connects with the Stoic idea that virtue is knowledge. Is that you know you've learned something, right? You've you've learned. You haven't trained your body, but you've learned something about the way the world is through the act of engaging and running, and I think that's really cool. There's there's a lot of discussion of kind of the, the stereotype is this ice baths or uh, cold showers. I personally don't do them at all. I tried a cold shower once, and I was like, "This is terrible." <laughs> so maybe I'm just too weak. I was like, "This is." But the showers are one of my one of my greatest pleasures. Like, I I don't I don't drink coffee, so like. I shower in the morning is like the the way that I I wake up. So, but I I think the benefit to those is that they're very they're very non-committal, right? Like it's it, it's easy for us to say like you know you already have a habit of running, I already have a habit of doing jiu-jitsu. It's not like yeah, just add like you know six to ten hours into your week of doing a sport. That'll be a great way to. It's kind of difficult to do, right? And that's where something like a cold shower I think or, or can come in. Where it's this idea of like you always have that option to you, you always have that option to do this very uncomfortable thing, that is has no harmful, like has no long term harm to you. It's like it's there, that choice is there, and I think that's what's something that's appealing about it. It's very kind of a universal piece of advice, but not something I've put into my own practice at all. And maybe some people listening love it, but I haven't been sold sold on it.
1: Yeah, I do cold showers on occasion, but I haven't made made it into a habit lately. I received an awesome email about STOA the other day asking whether, so we just launched a routines feature on STOA, which means you can go through different steps, a lesson or a meditation. Those are two different steps. And when we first launched them, they didn't have autoplay. So if you had, you couldn't autoplay the lesson and then do the meditation. And I got an email that said, can you insert autoplay? I like to listen to the meditations while I'm doing my ice bath. And (laughs) I don't want to, I want to go back to my phone after I finish the lesson to play the rest of the meditation. So that was a, that was a classic stoic uh, feature request, I'd say. Yeah.
0: They're stronger, stronger than me, more discipline, more, more courage, I would say than I have certainly, (laughs) but yeah, that's where you can start doubling up. That's that's a secret too. That'll be helpful, but no, that's great. That's great to hear. Um, Like, I guess, I guess the takeaway, it's one of these things where it's like you, you you hear this a lot because I think people that are in the kind of self improvement m- movements are attracted to Stoicism, and there's always kind of this risk of kind of a conceptual breeding together, which is to say, you know people think the Stoics are into this stuff, but the Stoics didn't really have anything to say about it, or the Stoics disagreed, so it's fun to go back to the text and see, no the Stoics identified this, they thought there was real benefits available, but they did but it was a nuanced view, and they thought we had to be careful. And that's kind of it, it, it's cool to see, you know, them talking about this two thousand years ago as these kind of you know staking a claim and a position on that. And when we when I, I presented this spectrum at the start of the conversation, on one side of the spectrum, it's that physical training is necessary for self improvement. On the other side, it's that it's actively harmful or at best a distraction. And I would say the Stoics are somewhere in the middle, which is like it's a it's a tool in your toolbox, it's a valuable one. Use it if it's if it's helping you. But if the tool starts being unhelpful, you know discard the tool, and it's not the only tool you have. Don't think you need to use it if there's there's other ways we can challenge ourselves, like I said, if we want to build courage, we can like do something nice to somebody that's a bit embarrassing. That's a way to build courage doesn't need to be you know doesn't need to be a physical training it's not the only way to develop courage to self-control
1: absolutely, yeah, that's well put. I think I'll, uh, I can, I think my last few words will just be shouting out a ancient Stoic model, Cato the Younger, who used to practice this both in a private and public way. So a passage from the book Rome's Last Citizen by Jimmy Sony goes as follows. Cato chose to wear the simple outmoded clothing of Rome's mythical founders and to go barefoot in sun and cold powerful men gifted themselves villas and vineyards. Cato preferred a life of monkish frugality. Roman politics was well-oiled with bribes, strategic marriages, and under-the-table favors. Cato's vote famously had no price. And that's a picture of how someone's resistance to, or how someone's ability to endure ordinary pain is sort of connected up with this Moral view about resisting bribery and being generally upright, which, and I think that's a that's an expi- inspiring picture.
0: Yeah, that's great. What I what I like about that Caleb is it it shows the what for, like the so the so what of it. The idea, as you said, of of you know, today it's 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 taking a cold shower. Tomorrow it's resisting a bribe, and one of those seems kind of maybe inconsequential, but the other one is really important. And if it's preparation for that. Even you know, just a small preparation for that, well, then that's great. That's worthwhile.
1: Absolutely excellent. Well, I think I'm going to go shopping, and then maybe I'll take a cold shower.
0: <laughs> I will not. <laughs> awesome, great conversation. All right, this is fun.
1: Thanks for listening to Stoic Conversations. If you found this conversation useful, please give us a rating on Apple, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you use, and share it with a friend. We are just starting this podcast, so every bit of help goes a long way. And I'd like to thank Michael Levy for graciously letting us use his music. Do check out his work at ancientliar.com and please get in touch with us at, stoa at stoameditation.com if you ever have any feedback or questions. Until next time.